Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. So we're in a series called One Another. And in the New Testament, there are about 59 one another commands. They're commands that talk about how we are to be in relationship with each other, in our friendships at work, within our families. And here as a church, as the body of Christ, there are certain commands like be patient, bearing with one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, encourage one another daily, just to name a few. And so in this series, we'll be talking about healthy relationships, growing in friendships, how to encourage, overcoming verbal malpractice, building your marriage, loving in unhealthy relationships, or it's difficult and challenging, loving one another and coming to agreement through disagreements and dealing with issues of anger. Now, in our journey with Jesus, there are three core relationships that we continually have to grow in and work on. The first is our relationship with God. That is the most important. The second is our relationship with ourselves. It's what we believe, how we understand who we are in Christ and about our value and and loving ourselves as God loves us. But the third with relationship is our relationship with each other. And so those are the three core relationships. So this series is going to be about loving and relationships with each other. And when you get right down to it, the heart of effectiveness within our relationships with each other is when we give out to others what God has downloaded within our lives. The heart of effective relationships from a God-biblical-centered point of view, is when we give out to others what God has downloaded within our lives. And I think about my own journey in following Jesus, and I think about the times that I've been able to love effectively. In some of those difficult and challenging times, I've always been able to do it when I carry out what God has carried me through. When I display to others what God has displayed to me, when I am able to give to others what I have received from God, and so we want to get to the very heart of what relationships is all about, and that is love. So we're going to go to the hallmark chapter of love in the Bible, the greatest description of love that's ever been written, 1 Corinthians 13, which will kick us off. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have your... um, apps on your phone, go ahead and click onto that. And if you don't have either, we're going to have the scriptures by way of the screen as we talk about how we download God's love so that we can give it to others. 1 Corinthians 13. So as you're turning there, let me ask you, how would you define love? How would you define it? When you look within our culture, within our society today, Good luck trying to come up with a definition of what love is, okay? I grew up as a kid, and I heard on the radio the popular song by the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. 
Love is the solution for everything to all the problems that are ailing the world. That sounds pretty good. But as I I went on into high school, then Tina Turner had this popular song. She says, what's love got to do with it? It's just a secondhand emotion. So I was hearing two different messages. And so I started to question love. And then Jay Giles, they came up with this song called Love Stinks. And it put the whole thing into question for me. Hey. It's interesting that, that in the U.S. Copyright Office in Washington, D.C., there are over 10,000 copyrighted songs which start out with love is. Over 10,000 definitions. Here's some of the titles. Love is a babe. Love is a traitor. Love is doggone mean. Love is a heavy number. Love is a funky thing. Here's my favorite one. I don't know if you've ever heard this song. I haven't. Love is hell in a small motel. Anybody heard that song? And you get confused when you hear all the messages of love that are within your culture. You feel like a a chameleon in a bag of Skittles. You just don't know what's going on. You hear kids. I love kids when they give their definitions of love and they're trying to figure out what it means. I'll give you a couple of right here. Manuel at the age of eight was asked what love is. And he said this, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of it isn't supposed to be so painful. And May, age nine, said this, no one is for sure why love happens, but I heard it has something to do with how you smell. That's why perfume and deodorant are so popular. (laughs) Confusing, isn't it? Well, I want to give you a biblical definition of love. And if you're in a note writing mood, I just want to start off with we're just getting our minds about what biblical love is. And this is a definition I've been using for the last 28 years. I read it 28 years ago, and I've been repeating it every since because it made sense to me then and it makes sense now. Here's the definition of love. Biblical love is where we seek the good of other people despite how we feel, and despite what they deserve. Mm. Biblical love is where we seek the good of others, despite how we feel, and despite what they deserve. Biblical love is strong. Biblical love is stable. Biblical love is the most powerful force within this world. And when you think about love, as it comes here, it's, it's used that word nine times in 1 Corinthians 13. And, and it's, it's a new term when they coined it. It was, a, it was a word, it was a concept that was coined. When I was talking with my kids as they were growing up, we would talk about new phrases and new terms that were, that were being coined. It was back in 1995, I heard a, a term that I'd never heard before, It was called snail mail. And that was a term that happened with the advent of email. And it talked about your your postal service mail. When Facebook came along, there was some new terms that came about. And one of the great ways, if you want to be a passive aggressive with somebody, is what do you do? You unfriend them. Unfriend is a new term that came about with Facebook. With media or, or movie or entertainment streaming like Netflix, A new term came into place called binge-watching, okay? Binge-watching. So if you watch 
Friends, 10 episodes in five days, that's binge watching. Well, when you come to the New Testament, there was an upgrade in the experience of love that the world had never experienced. And all of the terms and all of the words that have been used for love were not adequate because Jesus Christ came into this world and he loved and he died and he rose again. And when people saw the love of Jesus, there was no word that existed or was currently used on the planet earth that could effectively describe the love that was displayed in Jesus Christ. Common words were like phileo, friendship love. We use that today in some of our root words in English. Phileo, philharmonic, love of music. Philanthropy, phileo, love of mankind. Philosophy, love of wisdom. But that wasn't an adequate word. Then there was the word eros, erotic, and that wasn't the kind of love that Jesus brought. There was the word storge, which had to do with family love, family connections, but no word was adequate. And so the writers of the New Testament took this word that we only can discover one or maybe two times outside of the New Testament to describe the love that was displayed in Jesus Christ. And it is the word agape. And it is a word that is used nine times in 1 Corinthians 13. And it is spread, it is peppered throughout the New Testament to describe the love. And they use this word agape because there was an upgrade of love and that upgrade of an experience of love needed a new term, a new expression. Now let's talk about what agape love is. Understand this, agape love has existed from eternity. There has never been a time when agape love did not exist because it is born within the relationship of God himself. The Father has an agape love toward the Son. And the Son reciprocates it with a perfect agape love toward the Father. And they do it through the dynamic power and love and unity of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about God, He is a family, He is a relationship. And the Bible says God is love because this perfect, joyous, harmonious, magnanimous, overflowing, powerful love has existed in God from eternity. And when he created humanity, he did so because there was such joy and love within the harmony of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that love and joy necessarily give and create. And so the earth was created out of the joy and the love of God. And this is the standard. This is what agape love is. And Jesus now comes into this broken world that he loved and that he created. And Jesus is walking around, and when people look at Jesus, they kind of see the popular images of the the long hair and the sandals. And this young guy with this radical message taking on the establishment, they kind of look at Jesus like he's some kind of first century hipster or something. But Jesus, when he was on this earth, was displaying the eternal agape love that was within the Trinity. 
When Jesus was obedient, when Jesus was on mission, he sought to do what only what the Father would have him do. And he did so through the power of the Holy Spirit. And when people saw Jesus, they saw the love of the Trinity who had come down to earth and displayed in this human being, God who came into the form of man. And they saw the power of agape love and it had never been seen in such vivid clarity as before. And so the church uses this new term, agape. And folks, here's the big deal. When Jesus loved, he loved irrespective of persons. He loved irrespective of a person's background. He loved irrespective of their sin. He loved irrespective of their social class. He did not love people because of who they are, but he loved people because of who he is. And that's a huge difference. He loved not because he found people lovable. He loved because he is loving and that's what he does. And this is the source, this is the foundation of our understanding of love in the midst of all of the cultural confusion. It is a love that is eternal. Can somebody say amen? When I'm discipling somebody, a new Christian or whatever, and and I tell them when I came to Christ when I was 15, they're in the basement of my home with my mom, and I couldn't have told you where Genesis or Revelation was. I didn't even know there were books in the Bible. I didn't hardly know anything about Christianity or theology. I couldn't quote for you a single verse. I just knew that God was calling me, and he wanted me, and he invaded and changed my life. And I tell people that I am no more loved today than I was back in the basement of my home praying that prayer for God to come into my life when I was 15. I am no more loved. I am no less loved today. Even though I know more, I've served more, I've gone further in the journey because God's love for me is not about me. God's love for me is about Him. It's not about who I am. It's not about who you are. It is about who he is. His love for you will not change. It will not diminish or weaken or increase because of what you do or don't do. Some people struggle with wondering how God can love them. They're afraid. Well, what if God discovers my past, what I've done? He already knows your past. He's seen it. He knows your past and remembers it with more vivid accuracy than you do, but he still loves you. Yeah, but what if I disappoint God in the future? God can write the chapter of that time or those times when you will disappoint him. He has a full understanding and vision of what your future looks like. And though he knows your past perfectly, and though he has a perfect vision of what you'll be like in the future, he still loves you and he calls you into a relationship with himself, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And this is the stability and the strength of agape love. And my friends, this is the kind of love that we need downloaded into our lives if we're going to understand how to live out an effective relationship with other people. 
So Paul goes on. Verse 4 through 8, he gives this incredible description of what love is. And I want to boil things down to you because as Paul describes love in these verses, it comes down to two core practices. Two core practices. And then out of those core practices are about eight things that we don't do and six things that we need to do. So we're going to look at that in a moment. But the two core practices are this. Love is patient and love is kind. You want to boil what love is and what it does and how it operates? It comes down to these two core things, these two umbrella categories. It is patient and it is kind. Patience describes what love does not do. Kindness describes what love does. In the very heart, the very root, the very core of love, this may not be good news for some of us, is patience. How many of you pray the prayer, Lord, give me patience and please hurry up? Right? Some of you, you're very giving. You're very kind. You give somebody the shirt off of your back. You would give them the last bills that are in your wallet. You would do anything to help any person out. You're loving in that way. But you don't have that other side of love that's called patience. Because when you start loving somebody and you start connecting with them, if they disappoint you or they've offended you or they hurt you, instead of being patient and persevering through that and seeing the relationship move to the next level of maturity, you back away. And because of that, you don't have very many deep or quality relationships. Though you are kind and giving, you are not patient in persevering. And the very heart of what love is, the start of it, is going to be a patience. So what I want us to do is, by way of the screen, I'm going to put verses 4 through 8. I'd like us to read those together. So together, please, starting in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trust, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. So let me give you the first essential of love if you're in a note-writing mood, and it is this. The first essential of love is patience. It is patience. How many have had your patience tested this week? Anybody? How many of you on your test came out negative? You have zero patience. All right. If you're in that category, that's where most of us start. And when Paul talks about patience, the image is of slowly boiling water. Slowly boiling water. When you're boiling water and you determine how quickly it's going to boil, what determines that? It's the intensity of the flame. And if you are a patient person, it means that you keep the flame low. It means you keep the burner down. It means that you are not going to be a hot-headed, hot-tempered person. And the reason you have that as a follower of Jesus is because that's the kind of patience that God has exercised towards you. It's the kind of patience that he is downloading into your life. Has God been patient with you? 
That answer should be pretty obvious, shouldn't it? How many of you, when you use the name of God for maybe many years or for a long period of time, you only used his name as a cuss word? God was patient. He could have blown you up, but he didn't because he loves you. How many of you have seen hundreds and hundreds, thousands of thousands of sunsets, and you never stop to thank God for the gift of life, for the atmosphere, the environment around you, you just simply ignored, ignored God. And God could have put you on a beauty. He could have put you on a blessing ration because you didn't thank him, but God was patient with you. What about promises you've made to God and you broke? Maybe you say, God, get me out of this and I'll never tell another lie. Count on me to stand up for you now on. Lord, I'm done with the temper tantrums. I won't do that. Lord, no longer am I going to watch or look at that kind of stuff again. But you went on and you broke your promise. And for some of us, if broken promises were lumber, we could build a whole subdivision. But God was patient with you because the Bible says he doesn't want anyone to perish. Now, folks, understand this. Patience is not naive. Patience is not blind to misbehavior. Patience does not put its head into the sand when things around us are going wrong. Rather, it keeps the burner at a low flame. And it waits, it listens, it watches, and it's looking for how love can be best displayed in the difficult situations. And when the heat is going up around us, when the circumstances are difficult, a patient person will still keep the flame on low and will not give up, will not lash out, and will not lose their cool because they're looking for the opportunity to express the next quality of love. And that is this. The second essential of love is kindness. It is kindness. It's the other side of the coin of love. When Paul talks about kindness, he's talking about where we do things to elevate people closer to the purposes of God. We exercise a grace and a giving in their lives which help them to go further in their journey towards Jesus and is a signal of them that God loves them and that he's moving them on to a greater purpose. My son Andrew lives in Oregon, and Oregon is one of the least church states in America. And he lives in Eugene, Oregon, which is where the University of Oregon is, and it is one of the least church areas within the state of Oregon. And so it's not like the Midwest where there's lots of churches and a lot of Christian representation. It's a very secular uh, environment. In fact, when I visited there and I went to the farmer's market, it felt like I was going to a Grateful Dead concert, okay? That's Eugene, Oregon. And so my son is living out his faith, is, is, is following Jesus there. And, and one, one day, it was on a Sunday, a co-worker had asked him to work second shift. Uh, she said she, she needed somebody to fill in. And, and Andrew said no, because on Sunday he likes to take that as a Sabbath, to go and gather and worship with other believers and kind of chill out and, and refresh and relax and renew for the week that is ahead. But the Holy Spirit just began to place on his heart. He says, Andrew, you need to work. 
you need to go in and fill this person's shift. And then when you do that, with the money that you make, you need to give it to that person. And so Andrew agreed. He worked that shift. He made the money. And then when he saw that person, he gave that person all of the money. person never experienced this kind of thing before. I didn't ask you to do that. And Andrew said, I know you didn't, but God did. Because God loves you. And then he found out that this person's home had been devastated through flooding. And she had some major bills that were coming due. And he did that as an act of kindness, not because he's such a great person, but because he serves such a great God. That kindness pointed this person, not to my son, but to the love of Jesus. And this is what this kindness is. It was back in my 20s when I first started pastoring. And sometimes I think today, boy, I I wish I had the confidence today that I had back in my 20s. I mean, back then I knew everything. I was often wrong, but never in doubt. And, and, and in that situation, in my pastoring, uh, I was making some big mistakes, just classical mistakes and leading, managing, and working with people. And it was going to send me into a pretty negative place that could have lasted a long time. And God brought this man into my church. He was in his 40s. His name was Richard Toby. Strong Christian man, and he had a lot of experience in managing people and supervising. And Richard and I became friends, and he kind of took me under his wing. And one of the things that he, he did for me is that he loved me because he could see me, his, his younger self, and me. He saw the mistakes I was making, and he was patient, and he could have torn me down. He could have said, you don't have a temperament. You don't have a personality. You don't have the skills to be a pastor and to lead people. And he could have torn me down. He could have broken me apart. And there were times he kept the flame low, and he did confront me. But more so, what he did is he saw my potential, and he elevated me. And he began mentoring me, teaching me, showing me, modeling me. How do you manage? How do you lead? How do you work with people? And because of his love, his patience in what he did not do, and his kindness in what he did do for some of the things that God works through me and uses me with today, it is because God used Richard Toby to download God's love into my life because he was patient and he was kind. Patience and kindness go together. And they're both two necessary sides of the same coin if we want to love. For example, patience holds its tongue when something hurtful has been done. But kindness goes further and speaks and acts in a way to the person who is hurting you. See the difference? Patience is being willing to have your life complicated through the struggles and the difficulties of your spouse. And you're willing to work through those. You're willing to be patient. But kindness is then when you meet with your spouse and you talk about the problems, you evaluate the source of those, and you commit to working towards solution that will make the marriage stronger. And if you don't have the patience, which is willing to stick in there, then you can't have the kindness that works towards a better marriage. Patience is actively fighting the temptation to be critical and judgmental toward others who bug you, who oppose you. 
but kindness is looking for a way to turn the other cheek to encourage them and love them instead. Patience is being unwilling to do what is wrong when you've been wronged. But kindness looks for concrete and specific ways to overcome evil with good. You say that's impossible? Yes, it is. But not impossible if God has downloaded his agape love, which he has displayed in our lives so that we can express it to others. Let me read to you something that's somewhat old, but I think it well expresses what we're trying to get at here. We have it by way of the screen. It's kind of the expression of a prayer somebody once prayed. Somebody said, I asked God to take away my pride, and God said no. He said it was not for him to take away, but for, him, but for me to give up. I asked God to take away my handicap, to make my handicapped child whole, and God says no, her spirit is already whole. Her body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said no. He said that patience is a byproduct of tribulation. It isn't granted, it's earned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said no. He said he gives blessings. Happiness is up to me. I asked God to spare me pain, and God said no. He said that I must grow on my own, but he will prune me in order to make me fruitful. I asked God if he loved me, and God said yes. He gave me his only son who died for me, and I will be in heaven someday because I believe. And I asked God to help me to love others as much as he loves me. And God says, oh, finally, now you have the idea. We love because of what God has downloaded into our lives. Well, let me tie a ribbon on this. And let's bring this in for some encouraging points. So how do we take what we're learning on Sunday and apply it to Monday? So let me give you two encouragements. Number one, prioritize loving others. This is huge. Paul says that if we don't love, if love is not our priority, all that we do is a gong, it's a clanging cymbal, it comes to nothing and it amounts to nothing in the eyes of God. And so love has to undergird everything that we do. When you think about us at Crossroads Community Church, I'm excited about our mission. I'm excited about our vision. I'm excited how we're merging more out in the harvest field. I'm excited about what God is doing here. It's very, very exciting to me. But everything that we do must be undergirded strengthened and motivated by love for God and love for each other. And folks, when there is an environment of love, all of our efforts will see a multiplication of effectiveness. And part of what that means is that we're on ministry teams and we're looking to do tasks and we're looking to do different things. The process is as important as the product. In other words, you're in a ministry team, you're on a board, you're on a committee or whatever it is. It's important that you get to good decisions. It's important that you develop good strategies. It's important that you manage the problems well. But it's also important that you love the people in your team in the process. And if in the process we become inconsiderate, 
We become rude. We become condescending to those that we're working with. Then we lose the value and the power of what God has called us to do. And so love has to be a priority because it will multiply our effectiveness. When it comes to doing ministry, you come in on Sunday morning. You've got a ministry task. You've got a responsibility. Sometimes we can come in just because we've done it so long. And it's like another chore. It's like another duty. You just show up. You fill in the slot. And it's another thing you do to keep the seven-day cycle here at Crossroads going. But I want to ask you, where's the love? Because with the ministry you're called to do, with the activities, as grateful as we are for that, realize that we are here to make an eternal impact on the lives of other people. And so when you come in on Sunday morning or in whatever capacity, your prayer should be as Lord, use me in a strategic way to bless and to benefit somebody else. Paul writes in Romans twelve eleven, he says, never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Our calendars are busy. As Americans, we are more busy than we've ever been. And we go to somebody we haven't seen in a long time, says, oh, I'm sorry I haven't called you. I've just been too busy. We look at that person we know who's been struggling or we know who's having a problem within their marriage or a problem with their kids. And we said we were going to call, pray for them and check up on them. And we see them, we say, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't called you, I haven't checked up on you. I've been too busy. We've looked at people and we say, yeah, I would love to get together in fellowship with you. I'd love to connect. I would love to hear what God is doing in your life. Encouraging, we see them. I'm sorry, I haven't done that. I've been too busy. And maybe the point is just that, you've been too busy. You've not looked at your calendar, and you have not prioritized love and relationships and those things which are ultimately and eternally important. Number two, persevere in God's love. Persevere in God's love. I can hear you this morning. Okay, Pastor. I'm going to leave here and I'm going to try harder to love people. I'm really going to work at this. And my response to you is good luck. You look at your spouse and you think, okay, I'm going to try hard to forgive my spouse. My spouse really needs to be forgiven. And the more you think about it, you think, I am going to forgive that bum no matter what. And you've got that attitude. Oh, my neighbor. I need to love. That neighbor irritates me, but I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to find a way to do it if it kills me. And guess what? If you go at it with that attitude, it probably will. Because, folks, we don't have the capacity to love in the way that Jesus has called us to love. It's something that God has to download within our lives. Here's a challenge. It's often been done. I'd like us to do it as well. I want to put up 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 by way of the screen. And what I want us to do is that wherever it says the word love or the pronoun it for love, I want us to put our names. You have to do it verbally, but just in your mind, put your name in that descriptor. So I'm going to use my name just for the sake of illustration. Start off in verse 4. 
You can put your name here. Anthony is patient. Anthony is kind. Anthony does not envy. Anthony does not boast. Anthony is not proud. I'm going to stop right there because all of those statements are lies. Because Anthony is getting better at this, but this is not always descriptive of what Anthony is because I fall short. In fact, you can ask my wife. Well, I'd prefer you not to, to be honest, but take my word for it. I'm doing better, but I fall short. And when I look at these descriptors of love, this doesn't perfectly reflect who I am or what I do. I can't meet this, and the truth is, is that you can't either. But there's somebody who does. There's somebody who did. And I want to look at these verses, and I want to put in the name of the person who has and the person who does, and his name is Jesus. And so let's look at this with the word Jesus substituted for love, because Jesus is love. And so it reads like this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And let's read verse 8 together. Jesus never fails. He's the only one who's lived this out perfectly. And that's why we need his love downloaded within our lives.